This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrot. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Brian Travis. And today, we're excited. Episode 21. 21's a, 21's a big number for us. I mean, you got 21 PHX, 921 yeah. Pro XP, 921 Elite, 721. 721. Dang. So 21's a big number. Getting the tie-ins. No, I wouldn't have thought we would have made it this far. I know. And and thank you to everybody that's been listening and supporting us. Uh you know, Tim and I, along with all of our uh, interviews that we have, we're working hard to try and bring you some uh, new content each and every week, try and uh, cover different angles that you may not hear in other podcasts and uh, give you an insight into everyone we talk to. Absolutely. And not just uh, our interviews, but we've got some new stuff coming for you guys. Um, model year 2021, another yep. tie in there coming here soon. So uh, y'all stay tuned for that. But today we've got uh, Mr. James Elam. James has had a busy off season buying a house and moving and everything that goes along with that. Well, and, it, and it's all, it's odd too, because we we're calling it an off season right now, but really it's not, it's a break in the action. I know. And I'm pretty excited to talk to him about uh, the action that happened earlier this year. You know, the first tournament when he got on there, we were all watching uh, the live coverage and uh, it was pretty neat to watch him catch those buzzer beaters um, to make the cuts. So I'm excited yeah. to see his take on that. Oh, absolutely. And just see what he's been up to. Um, Daylight Donuts Pro. I yeah, love that. I do too. Big non-endemic, so that's cool. I, well, and I love donuts. I mean, I'm just going to say. Yeah. But I, I think it'll be neat too. You know, he rooms uh, with Gerald Spore and some other fellas. So I wonder. Mm-hmm. I do wonder what it's like because you know you get used to that rhythm and that routine of being on the road with your buddies and getting to hang out, kind of like we are at work, you know, Monday mm-hmm. through Friday. The weekend sometimes seems kind of boring. So it be interesting <laughs> to see, you know, what he thinks about that. Well, we definitely know your weekends aren't boring. Uh, four kids trying to jump in the boat with you, go fishing. I know you've been doing that here a bunch. Oh, a lot. But, you know, I know you guys might have a little boring weekends. But mine will transition straight from going fishing with all the kids back into the sports life, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Once everything gets up and going. Well, yeah. um, let's get Mr. Elam on. Excited to have him today. And uh, give us just a second. We're going to dial him up in episode 21 with Mr. James Elam. Let's do it. At Phoenix Boats, our passion for fishing is obvious. Whether it's a pro event or fishing with our family and friends, we truly love the sport of fishing. That's why our goal is to make every single Phoenix boat that goes out the door the best fishing platform it can be in both design and construction. We love to fish as much as anyone, and we believe it shows in every boat we build. Phoenix Boats, built by anglers for anglers. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we've got with us the man on the line all the way from OK, Oklahoma, James Elam. James, what's going on, buddy? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Man, we're glad to have you. What you been up to? Man, just, uh, you know, staying at home a lot for the last couple months. Uh, of course, we <clears throat> got our season started off and had three MLF tournaments, uh, you know, on the Bass Pro Tour, and... Uh, it looked like, you know, maybe we're going to be able to sneak by and, you know, somehow get around this virus ordeal and, and have, you know, the rest of our tournaments just being really safe and everything. But we got shut down. So um, I think that was probably back in uh, April, mm-hmm. early April. Yep. So haven't fished a tournament since then. Been home, you know, the whole month of April, uh, whole month of May and got a lot of work done at home and that's basically what i focused on because i knew when we started back up i'll probably be really busy and uh, just trying to get a bunch of stuff done that i you know that bugs me or has bugged me and just 
you know, get, get all that stuff out of the way and, and make it to where it's, you know, I'm focused on fishing when that time comes. Oh, well, you got that new house. So you definitely have some projects mm-hmm. probably to do around. There. Yeah. So yeah. That's kind of yeah. been maybe a, a little blessing in this whole deal. It's been a weird thing. It kind of worked out. If that would have, you know, if we would have moved in somewhere any year, this is, this is definitely the year because, uh, I've just had so much time to get so much done. You know, we, we've, we've done a lot, you know, uh, Sam's got horses and, uh, we got her a barn and, you know, just last week we, uh, moved the barn out of the way, you know, it's a, just a mobile barn. It's real nice, but it, it's, uh, you know, a pre-built one that they brought in. And uh, we rolled it out of the way. We didn't think we needed a pad, but we did. So ordered some screenings, built a pad for that last weekend, put some gates up in the front that, and uh, painted them and just, just been doing all kinds of stuff, man. It's just been, you know, 24-7. You know, the, the other day we had a little well house and the bricks were just stacked around it, like extra leftover bricks from the house, you know, being built. And they weren't mortared in, so I went ahead and did that. Um, that was kind of my project. That's the first time I've ever done any masonry work. So it's kind of fun, you know, getting to learn stuff like that and do some of that stuff on your own. Um, but <laughs> that's the kind of stuff I've been doing. <laughs> Did you ride horses much? Oh, not really. Uh, I do a little bit, you know, she's got a two year old and a seven year old and uh seven year olds are really good, you know, pretty well mannered horse, but it's a little spooky here and there and they're they're just they're high-powered machines man that i don't really you know i I don't feel real real safe on a lot of them because they're they're you know they got racehorse bloodline and they you you almost can't trust them in a way you know they're they're uh they're pretty spunky creatures so Mm -hmm. you you know they get spooked easy and you know they might buck and i don't really want to get hurt so uh she she did have one a couple of years ago that was really really you know easy to ride really calm and everything and i would ride that one quite a bit but you know i mostly watch her is she a barrel racer what what she do with the horses yeah yeah she uh mostly does barrel racing and uh she just got it's a it's kind of like jackpot fishing mm-hmm. uh, like a monday night tuesday night wednesday night jackpot and just chasing different lakes around and i think she went to like three nights in a row here uh last night she took off but uh there's basically you know a tournament if you want to it's just like fishing you know fishing small tournaments or something there's somewhere something somewhere so mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's it's uh that's kind of how that goes the payouts are about like fruit jars it's like first second maybe third sometimes and that's about it thanks for showing up yeah yeah well you know it's kind of weird how it works they have like a a, a system like uh they'll pay like so say they have 90 girls show up to barrel race. They'll split it up into like the top 30, the middle 30 and the last 30. And then they'll pay the top five in each of those categories. So it makes it to where, you know, somebody that's maybe doesn't have a $40,000, $50,000 horse or something. That's just this, you know, scorcher can still come have fun and have a chance to win money. Mm-hmm. If you get like 30th or 35th, it's just kind of a luck of the draw type thing. Now, if you, it doesn't penalize you so much if you do have a really, really good horse and get, you know, in the top five consistently because you you are going to get the money that way. But it does take some of the money out of the top and spread it around a little bit. So, I hear you. It's 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 interesting for sure. Well, now, that's pretty cool. Now you got a landscaping background, right, from Oklahoma State? Yeah, yeah. So I graduated from Oklahoma State with a degree in landscape architecture. Uh, 
you know, I didn't end up doing uh, much of that right out of college. You know, economy is really bad, and I ended up working a couple different jobs. I, I, I did work with one landscaping company. Um, just never took off for me. And that started fishing pretty quick, you know, right after or about that time. So that's when everything took off for me fishing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Been doing a little bit of that around here, too. I was going to say, you're putting that to good use right now during this whole deal. Yep. Yeah, next time yep. you come through here, I've got a yard you can definitely take a look at. Okay. It's in okay. desperate need. It's the well, one all the neighbors talk about, like, and not just, in the best way. It's just, the tallest grass. Hey, all it takes is money. All it takes is money. <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let Uncle Tim sponsor that project. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I got a big new mower that's pretty good. Um, kind of had to bite the bullet and buy a big mower uh, the other day. It's a 72-inch with a 35 Kawasaki on it. It's yeah, a bad boy. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's it, it, it hurt paying for it, but. It, uh, it's, it's going to be nice. And you know, it's something I don't have to worry about now. You said it was a bad boy. It's a bad boy. Yeah. Nice. It's a 72 inch bad boy rogue. I think a 60 is the biggest I've ever mowed on. Well, 60 is really kind of the best. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, it's just hard to, it's hard to beat a 60 because the maneuverability just athletic, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, if you if you got over a twenty one foot boat, that's kind of what it's like. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of comparable to a twenty one footer. And, you know, it's the seventy two though. We have a lot of. Uh, I I I definitely think that we didn't go wrong doing that. If we had some trees that were closer together that I had to get around tight spots, I, I think that I'd probably rather have the sixty. But the seventy two's been really good. So how fast you got it up fast. to? I, you know, I want to say it goes like 13, 14, 15 miles an hour. It goes pretty fast. It, it, it'll it pop a wheelie on you. And is that what you asked me how fast? Yeah, I want to know. Typical, yeah. typical boat boat guy question. Mm-hmm. How fast it go? <laughs> oh, that's faster than our duck boat. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it is quick. It surprised me. Mm-hmm. It surprised me. Well, yeah. You got, uh, when you left Oklahoma, you kind of went right into it. I mean, one, one shot, one qualification and right into the elites for five years. I mean, how did that uh, yeah. feel taking that jump? Man, it was real scary. Um, you know, with the time I hadn't fished that much out of outside of Oklahoma or Texas or Arkansas at all. Um, so, you know, a lot of things were new to me when I started fishing the elite series the first year i qualified and i fished it for seven years uh maybe yeah six or seven years uh <clears throat> the biggest new thing for me was just honestly not it, it, there's just nothing like experiencing it for yourself and being on the water you can hear about all this stuff you know and this and that but you know especially if you're kind of hard-headed like me it's better to learn on your own mm-hmm. and it just that was the biggest deal for me and and one of the major things that I never really fished grass around here. We don't have a lot. And that was, a, and, and now I feel like I, you know, love to do it and I'm more comfortable with doing that. So, uh, just there, there were a lot of things that I hadn't seen and that was probably my biggest battle. Just seeing some stuff that you hadn't seen before and just learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and other than that, just, you know, just, confidence and stuff like that getting your confidence built up and and just the experience and you know all that stuff and just knowing the right things you know when you see them mm-hmm. so so who got you into fishing well uh my dad uh my whole family kind of fish uh my whole family kind of fishes uh, you know 
my my dad, you know, his two brothers, my which my uncles, they fish. They're serious about it. My uncles on my mom's side fish. You know, both my grandpas fished. Um, everybody kind of did, you know, especially like you know they were bass fishermen too, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, but my dad, you know, would take me to tournaments, and we did tournaments from a young age. They had in Tulsa in the Tulsa area, northeast Oklahoma, they had a tournament circuit called Fishing Pals. And it was a father and son, father and daughter uh, tournament trail. And it was really competitive, actually. And it was uh, pretty dang big. It'd be around 100 boats. Uh, and we did that, you know, from the time I was six, seven years old, uh, you know, till around 12 or so. And then after that, we'd fish bigger tournaments. And then in high school, I'd, you know, find a buddy or two and we'd, we'd fish team tournaments. Uh, didn't have a high school fishing back then. Mm-hmm. So I kind of. I feel like I got the same experiences, but, but, you know, fishing against, you know, some of the just normal tournaments around here in the big tournaments. So, um, that's kind of my background on, on how I got started and it's just, you know, nature of my culture, I guess, just mm-hmm. my whole family did it. So, so when you went, when you were six or seven in that pals tournament, what was your dad tying on for you to throw all day? Um, he used to make me a jig back then uh that i'd throw quite a bit and you know they used to bite a jig a lot more back then too um hadn't seen so many it seems like but uh he would make me a jig like a quarter ounce uh with fine rubber uh he'd tie you know old school rubber skirts back then if you could get a bunch of that stuff and uh fine wire gamagatsu hook like the bronze one so you know, if, if basically they're going to hook themselves, mm-hmm. it, you know, if I make contact with one and I caught a lot of fish doing that. And of course, you know, on a spinner bait and I think he would probably stray away from the treble hook stuff just so I wasn't, you know, hung all the time, but we're hanging uh, him. Yeah. Well, I mean, but if we were catching him on something, it didn't matter. I, right. I, he'd, he'd rig me whatever up, um, you know, throw top water a lot you know that's easy you know sometimes for a kid because you can see what's going on you know mm-hmm. i mean so when did he start letting you make some decisions run the trolling motor make some uh um i would say when i was probably 14 you know from the probably, not, probably like 15 16 somewhere around there i I do remember by the time i was 19 20 21 i was running the the, the troll motor which mm-hmm. he's very capable of doing too, but he was letting me do that. And, right. and we'd make decisions a lot together. Um, and, you know, personalities are mesh differently. You know, he, he, he's, or, you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of more of a decisive decision maker mm-hmm. and he's a, maybe an idea guy that would run a idea by you or something like that. And then we'd, we'd grilled over and then maybe decide together you know, right. And, and, and sometimes when you didn't know and you're just going and going, I'd, I'd probably be the one just going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we'd always work well that way, you know, tournament fishing. And that's kind of what it takes, you know, to find a good tournament partner. And, um, we did, we always did really well, you know, doing that. So, but how old were you when you got your first boat? Um, so that's a neat story. I, uh, got my first bass boat. Uh, it was my dad's other team partner, one of his best friends, you know, uh, very, very good, uh, team partner, him and 
him and my dad were really, really good, you know, fishing together for years. Uh, but he got in a boating accident, a yacht hit him on Grand Lake like at night mm. and hit the transom in the motor on the boat and it totaled it. And he sold it to my dad for $800, uh, made him a really good deal on it. And that was when I was 17. And he didn't really ask me about it. He just bought it and said, hey, do you want this, you know? And uh, so bought it off him and and all that stuff. And, and it, it was a, you know, I would say a five or $6,000 boat, $7,000 boat maybe, mm-hmm. you know, that – got a you know that we got a really really good deal on just because of a good opportunity and so that's kind of you know when i got one is i had that one and he had one you know at the same time and i had that all through college and um you know and he actually he still got it to this day really now did you guys fix it up together i kind of did a lot of that when Mm -hmm. it came to something hard um he would do that you know or or i'd need him for that but i did the carpet in it i recarpeted it when I was probably 18, yeah, I think in between 18 and 19, that summer after school was that, I remember working on that a lot, and uh, the summer in the garage at night. Actually, I just thought about that last night. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, recarpeted it, and just did all the little things to it, and of course, you know, shined it up and made it pretty, and it had an old Mercury uh, EFI. It was a 19, I want to say it's an 80... When the, the EFIs probably came out in 85, 86, 87, something like that. It, I think it was an 87 or something. It was a really good motor, and it, it start real real easily and had a really good sound to it. So um, didn't really have to do much, just a little little polishing and new carpet and stuff like that. Put new uh, little pistons or whatever you call them, struts. I guess is what you call them on the rod boxes and, and you know, the seals and mm. stuff like that. Just little, little stuff. You still, so. you ever go fishing in it anymore? No, it's been a long time. <laughs> I, uh, no, it's been a long time. Probably 10 years since I've been in it fishing. All right. So kind of changing gears back, getting back on your, your fishing career. We talked on, mm-hmm. you know, you did 2012 in the opens qualified then you went into the BASS for several years and and you won the 2018 AOI championship tournament mm-hmm. right before you switched over to the BPT um how, how was that how hard was that to make that decision you just won an AOI championship tournament and then you're like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna change gears a little bit and try something new yeah that that kind of is something you think about because that that seems kind of you know weird yet it it's there's there's kind of two sides of it you know first you think man you know that's that that was a great feeling and and you know i want to keep that going and do that again uh but on the other hand i really really wanted to do that for a long time i think seven yeah seven years fishing in the elite series that i'd never been able to win one and finally did so it was a, a goal finally accomplished and it was kind of neat because i knew it'd probably be my last one mm-hmm. uh, so you know and i you didn't know that at the time but i thought it could be you know um with everything that was looming but um uh, you know it's just it's it's one of those things that every decision you know or everybody's decision is different and i felt like you know at that time you know it was good that i got to do that and yeah i wouldn't 
you know, be able to compete uh, in that same tournament circuit and do that again if I left. But, you know, at least I accomplished that goal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's got to go to like how mentally strong you got to be fishing one to win. But with everything going on, then, I mean, guys were already talking. You guys had been in some meetings, this, yeah. that, and the other. And you were able to compartmentalize that and say, man, I, I, I'm thinking about it. But you you were more worried about winning that tournament. And that's got to be uh, – how did you do that? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Uh, no, uh, maybe that's why I did win that tournament is because everybody else was focused on, you know, the other stuff. But uh, And it worked out for me. But I, I just made the decision that I wasn't – going to mess with really thinking about it heavily until that tournament was over. I was focused on that tournament. Uh, the time I had invested in it, the money I had invested in it in the whole season, I wasn't going to throw that all away just for letting something eat me up, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the decision I made when I started driving there. So, uh, that's, that's kind of how I try to handle that stuff in, I, you know, got a lot of questions during that tournament, especially since, you know, I was doing well and everything like, you know, what I thought, you know, about that and, and going into, you know, next year in the future, you know, what I was going to do. And I didn't have an answer. I told him, you know, or, you know, I told everybody, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not worried about that right now. I'm going to, I'm going to worry about that after this tournament's over. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how that all worked out. Had you ever fished on Chatug before? No, no. Uh, but the good thing is it was such a small lake that you, I, I definitely think that it was a pretty tough tournament. And you definitely had to be keyed in on the right thing or you just probably weren't going to do very well. Uh, but it was small enough to where in three days I felt really, really comfortable with, you know, the lake and not being there before just because I got to cover the whole thing and still don't really get to cover the whole thing but it's it's small enough to where you get to see a lot so yeah we're gonna need you to describe that feeling of being keyed in because i don't know what that feels like (laughs) (laughs) yeah you you probably do (laughs) you probably do no it's uh i just uh i I just felt like you know the, the the deal is with me and being keyed in or whatever i'd say on a lake uh is once I've seen enough, once I've seen two or three or four days of fishing on a lake and seen a lot of the whole thing, that then I can start backtracking and saying, hey, that was actually probably a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, or th- this is the, actually the, probably the best thing going on. And, you know, this might be developing and get better as, you know, time goes on in the next week or so. But I think that's the biggest thing for me is being able to see enough to know. And enough of the area to know enough of trying enough stuff fishing a couple different weather patterns you know throughout a a couple days stuff like that and then i think that just kind of makes it to where you can break it down more in a scientific approach and and you know just by deduction and know that you know i've tried this this and this and this is what worked this is what worked and this didn't so um but on that lake in particular, it was just really evident that, you know, there were kind of going into that, you know, I, I knew I was going to fish for a small, uh, uh, spotted bass. Uh, I knew that they're probably going to be offshore, probably going to be herring eaters, herring in the lake. That's, you know, what goes on and that's just what they're going to do. That's what their life's going to revolve around. And, 
you know, when we got there, I'd be driving around and, and it seems like herring run from you, run from the boat or something. And, you know, you just get to notice and every time you drive up on like, like a brush pile or, or, you know, something offshore, good point, whatever it be that the fish were kind of holding on or that they should be on, you know, you'd see them start busting because you've spooked the herring or you've disturbed something. And it was just really evident that like their life was revolving around, you know, eating those things. And you, you couldn't throw and you knew they were living in the brush and you couldn't ever like drop on them or cast anything in a brush pile and get them to eat. You couldn't put a bait in front of them and make them eat. You had to get those fish to go get something. That was the key to the whole deal. They wanted to see something from 25 yards away or whatever, 50 yards away, and, and then go eat it and chase it. So that's, you know, where you get it. And it might be a deal to where they, they think that, you know, if they got a herring really close to the surface – they've got a better chance of catching them because mm -hmm. they can't swim out of that water. They're going to jump and then they got them. And then it, it must've been a deal like that. That it's just a, a deal they get on. No one, you know, all summer long, that's how they eat them. They don't worry about chasing them in the open water because they'll never catch them. They know they might have to, you know, come up from below and spook them up. And that's where the top water deal works so good. And I caught some on a fluke and a wake bait and, now, not just any wake bait, though. You had an old Redfin, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I'll throw that and a bomber, mm -hmm. old bomber, quite a bit. And there's just nothing. They're they're both hard to cast, they're, but there's almost just nothing like the trance that that'll put a fish in, you know, in the clear water. And I would throw that when a big school would come up or I'd catch one or something, and I knew there was just more just right there just ready to eat looking up if it was slick calm or something like that i would always that's the time i would i, I would use that and that you know of course if it was choppy that it was just not enough commotion to really work but, um that's really when i would use that the, the most and, and it's uh it was just a fun tournament just i think it was just so evident that you couldn't make those fish you know you couldn't drag anything through that brush pile or anything like that or even, you know, throw crankbait, nothing, nothing, but you could, but those fish wanted to, you know, chase something to the top or, or see something around the top and, and, and come eat, eat it. Cause they felt like they, once they expanded that energy, they're going to get that, you know, herring or whatever that is up there that they're, you know, chasing. It was just a really neat deal. So they, they would come all the way out of a brush pile, you know, in 25 foot of water to eat a top water. So that just tells you a lot, you know, just being, you know seeing all that stuff so how many old baits do you still think you put into the rotation do you have several boxes of them or are there just a couple of standbys you like um well for for um those two wake baits out there the old bomber and the red fin i only have like two each in my top water box i just keep one top water box mm -hmm. i don't have like a, a wake bait top water box a czar spook box you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. I, I just have one big uh top water box and I, I throw the old bomber. I throw, I've got probably a, if you try to go sell it on eBay, I probably got like a $7,500 box of uh, wiggle warts, old wiggle warts. And I don't really take them around that much. I mean, I keep them locked up, but uh, when I need them, I know how to throw them. Mm -hmm. But 
I, I really those that's probably like my favorite collection of baits, but that's that's one thing. Um what else old do I throw? I got some old Vixens. Um I've got that I use. Um and really, you know, there's some other ones. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's baits that have been around for a long time, like that I like to use in certain situations. Like the other, you know, one tournament this year I started using a baby one minus. Uh, and I, it was kind of interesting. We were in Florida and, you know, everybody's throwing a chatterbait and a, and a swim jig, you know, and that, that hydrilla is growing like a foot from the top of the water. And I got to thinking, man, you know, and it's hard to throw a trap too. And there's this another thing, you know, you could throw, but you just spend so much time jerking, you know, and, and cleaning it off and, and whatever. But I, I tied on a baby one minus and it was perfect in that grass. Every now and then it would hit it, make contact with it, but it would stay right above it and the rattle and, and uh it gave you enough commotion to get those fish out of there out of the hydro and get their attention like a chatterbait mm -hmm. but um they definitely like i would throw you know other stuff all through there where i knew some fish were and i picked up maybe one minus and got them to react to that and so that's kind of an old you know bait that that i would uh i guess kind of put in that category in a way you can still go buy them though but um that is kind of an interesting uh, thing you know it's something you don't hear a lot about anymore but other than that i want stuff that i can buy an order or something from tackle warehouse you know and get it there in a day or two if i get in a tight you know i don't like you know having you know going to a tournament and relying on a one bag of my favorite color worms or something like that that they don't make anymore so especially on plastics i want to throw stuff that's readily available so Sorry, I always find this interesting. How how did you find all those wiggle warts? Everybody's got different methods. Oh yeah, well, some of them uh, came from my dad. I'd say the good majority of them came from a really good old Oklahoma fisherman that just got out of it and got into crappie fishing, and he um, sold all the stuff. And I'd say half of them came from him, and then the other ones have just been here and there, garage sale or you know or so-and-so had this laying around you know my mom lives on table rock lake now she retired and moved up there it's funny she won't find old uh new ones but she'll find the old ones and they'll just either float on the shore or they'll be stuck in a tree or something hmm. that, and she'll, she'll find like the dumbest colors too like you know just some pink and purple and, and just weird stuff that you probably wouldn't even throw in clear water normally but you know, i can get them repainted and stuff I'll take a lot of the clear bill ones and uh, you can strip the paint off of those and make them phantom, mm -hmm. you know, and, and paint them. So uh, they're really the clear bill ones are the, the ones I look for. What about the but, uh, old heart spinner baits? Do you ever throw any of those being from Oklahoma? The, the, those are really good. Yeah. I, I threw the half ounce double willow a lot, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't have, I have some of those still for sure. I, I don't throw them a ton anymore. But yeah, I really like those. What about the SOB spinner rig? The SOB, yeah. So that I think that was made by Okiebug. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Okiebug's here in Tulsa. Don Butler, you know, had Okiebug. He was a Bassmaster Classic champion. He's I, my dad's dad was friends with him, uh, and his son also Tom. But yeah, that was the epicenter was here of the SOB, and I, I mean my. And I've heard my dad talk about it a million times. I, I, I grew up throwing it, but I didn't know, you know, at the time. When it, but, I mean, I don't have, you know, any. That, that's one thing, like, I, I stay pretty fresh on spinnerbaits because I don't like to break the wires on them and, or just think I'm going to break a wire when I boat flip a four-pounder or something like that. So, 
I've got the ones that I throw and uh, we, my dad will make some that I like a lot, especially like the muddy water ones and stuff, mm-hmm. but spinner baits and yeah. Uh, buzz baits are mostly, you know, most of the time I'm throwing one that I made or he made. Well, what about, what about someone who's been with you from the get go? Then daylight donuts. Tell us about daylight it. Donuts, how did that yeah. come about? So daylight. Yeah. So, uh, those guys are just awesome outdoorsmen that own that company and, uh, run it. And, uh, they, you know, I fished around them, you know, growing up in some of the big tournaments around here. And that's kind of how I know them. And I'm friends with some of their friends and they just, uh, they wanted to help a, a local guy out and they were my first sponsor. So it's just been an awesome relationship since then. Just really, really good guys. Um, so that, yeah, that's been just a great thing. What's your favorite daylight donut? uh just the original um uh, glazed donut really um that that's I, I like to get a bunch of those you know like four i'll get usually four of those and then i'll get two sausage rolls and you know if it is it, i, I kind of like the jalapeno cheese sausage rolls or just the cheese ones the plain ones are good but i'll put a little mustard on those that, that's my favorite combo i would say uh also you know the bear claw they're all good the bear claws are really good uh Salmon rolls are good. Just yeah, all of them are good. Cake donuts. I, I could they're, argue. They're I could argue with anybody. If you really want to tell how good a donut a shot makes, just go with the old standby glazed. And yeah, that, that's the true tell right there. Yeah, that's 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 how you tell that the dough's good and it's just a good. You know, it's not covered up with a bunch of other stuff. That's the that's just like vanilla ice cream that's or right. um, like chocolate brownie. It's just a standard you know and they're yeah. starting to pop up all over i mean that's really been an expanding brand yeah it has they've done well they keep doing well and uh i think you know they're growing at the right rate too to where it's 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 been good i know they're busy those boys are busy you thinking about opening your own store no i can't i mean i i don't know how i could maybe if i quit fishing but you know that's hard work too those guys that run those donut shops they I think you got to get up at like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah, and start a cooking, and you know, of course, you can sleep during the day. But I mean, that's just—I don't know. I, I, I and that's an everyday thing too. So, I've thought about it. I got a good buddy of mine that uh, bought one and uh, took it over and 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 made it kind of like a restaurant during the day and daylight donuts during the morning. And he's he's done pretty well from what it sounds like, you know, doing that. Yeah, we just got one put in over by our house not too long Did ago. Did you really? Yeah, uh, it's over in Madison, Alabama. Okay. Okay, but, yeah, we're so starting this to see is right over the border. Over. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so you actually started this year off, though. I mean, Okeechobee, top 10. I mean, how'd Heck that feel? Yeah. How'd that feel? Yeah. Oh, dude, it was awesome, man. It, it, that was a special tournament. You know, some a lot of tournaments are just cut and dry. You're on them, you're not. Mm-hmm. And you're part of it, you're not. And that tournament was so tough. You know, Okeechobee got that hurricane a year or two ago, and it really has been fishing tough, it sounds like, you know, the past couple of years or since then. So it's rebound. There's still, still some fish in it, but I just knew, you know, going into it and you know, looking at the weather, you know, you, if you go down there in February or March, you're just asking for it uh, earlier March and any time in February. You're going to get a cold front the day before the tournament, mm-hmm. and it's going to make it tough. That's just something that, that happens every time. And every time I've been to Florida, it's happened. So, 
it was tough enough to where already, you know, you, you could catch them all right. But that cold front came in, and it was a wicked one. And I remember I was in Group B, um, so I was off the first day, and Group A was in there. And I just I watched the front come in at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's wicked, dude. It's blowing like 35 miles an hour. It's like raining sideways, blowing that air, uh, rain sideways. And, there, you know, in my mind, a lot of places I'm thinking I still got a fish. Like still, but in Florida, you just can't, almost just can't catch them when it's like that. And I was like, man, you know, this is going to be a terrible day for these guys. I mean, if you could just catch one scoreable bass, like a two-pounder, that that that's going to be – that's going to save you a lot. You know, it'll just sign you, you – know, nobody's going to be out of it. There'll be a lot of guys blank. And, and so I knew going into the first day of, you know, my first day, the second day after the front or the day after the front is going to be just as bad. And it was. And, and I went all day, and I, I thought I was on a good little water fish and had them to myself on some hydrilla. I ended up catching one at, like, with five minutes left. I mean, just fishing my butt off all day long. And so I was like, all right, good. You know, I survived that. It'll get good because I had some other places. Uh, it'll get good, you know, the, the my second day. So, uh, which is four days after the front or something like that that came through. I was like, things will get to cooking again. and It's going to get 80 degrees. And I had some spawning flat stuff that I thought was going to be. It was all junk that when I went out there the second day. And I, I ran around like. I ran the fire drill is what I call it. I mean, I ran all over the lake just checking. So like, like it was a brand new day because we'd had some weather come in and like the three or four. And I kept going back and back because things can happen quick in Florida and they move up and get to, go, you know, uh, catching them. So it's about noon and I just had that feeling that I'm going to die doing what I'm doing, fishing these two or three little places that I thought were going to be good. I got to do something different and I, I don't care what it is. I've got to do something drastic. I got to do something different. And it was to that point to where if it would have been teeter, if I'd have been teeter tottering, that's how a lot of tournaments you go home, you know, with a hundredth places, you're teeter tottering and there's just enough to keep you sticking around. But this wasn't like that. This was over the edge and it was evident that, you know, I had, I'm, I'm going to, who cares? I'm going to go do something. And I got to thinking, you know, man, I did not get to go. There's this huge canal system on Okeechobee. It's the only place. So we get two days of practice. It's just not that much. And I didn't get to go there. And I was thinking, you know, these fish in Florida, they spawn pretty early in canals. And, and maybe those things have been protected enough. They heated back up. And I got to thinking about that hurricane. I was like, man, I bet those fish survived that hurricane back there, too. And. I was just, all these things started going through my head and I was like, I'm going, I don't care. I got to go through a lock, but I don't care. You know, if I get an hour, it'd be better than what I'm doing right now. So I run, uh, 30 minutes, 35 minutes all the way from one side of the lake to the, to the other. And I lock into this canal system and I get in there and I don't even know, I see some no wake buoys and, and I don't even know the rules in there, but so I'm just kind of idling around and I, I, I go into one canal and I fish down it and it's not very good. And I go down another one and it's not very good. Then I go down another one and it looks pretty good. And, um, the water starts to get cleared up and good, you know, it, you know, black water, you know, in Florida. And then I think I went into that one. I may have got a bite or something like that. And 
nothing's happening. There's like 30 or 45 minutes left. And it just so happens I turned into the right canal after that. And I went down in it, long canal, and it had some reeds in it. And I think I came to the first patch of reeds and I flipped in there. And I barely feel one on there. And it's super shallow. I just flipped to the base of them. And I got one on, you know, but I'm half asleep. I haven't got a bite in two days. And it's just on there. And it's a spawner, you know, just sitting there. And I half-heartedly set the hook. And I think... Thank goodness I had the right hook on, you know, just super sharp and all that stuff. And I set the hook and it's like a, it's like a five something and it just comes out of the water because it's like a, in a foot of water and it just big old head and like, oh my God, you know, that's awesome. You know, and he, he comes up thrashing, he goes, runs right in front of the troll motor or right in front of the boat down the bank, gets hung in a jet ski, uh, bobber deal that, you know, you tie your jet ski up to and, and all kinds of stuff next to a dock thrash. Anyways, I get that fish in. And I was like, heck yeah, did that just save me like, you know, 30 places and points or something like that, just catching that one. Uh, that was totally worth it, you know, coming in here. You know, and then I look up, I'm like, oh man, there's some more reeds. You know what? I mean, like that was the first patch of reeds I hit. Maybe they're, I'll catch a couple more. And, and at this time it was so tough. I need like seven pounds that day to make the cut. I needed to catch like three bass. It was bad. I go to the very next patch of reeds and, and I, uh, I, I, I miss one. It's a male, you know, one of those male spawner bites where it uh, just doesn't get your stuff. And, and, and but I didn't care. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm about to I'm about to catch me two more. So uh, I go to the next patch, don't get a bite and go to the next one. And I catch a four. And then I go to the next patch after that. Don't catch one and then cross over to the other side of the canal and start coming back down. And I go I hit a really, you know, there's a really good uh, reed patch coming and i sneak up to it and i got like four or five minutes left and uh i flip in there and flip 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 and i come to the end of it and uh catch another one it's about three pounds and the day was over so i went from like zero having nothing to making the uh top uh, uh 40 cut just right there and so that was the whole tournament so the next day i know where to go right mm-hmm. uh i uh that that was uh that was uh, where I spent the whole next day and I made the top 10 out of there. I just hammered down and flipped all day and, and, you know, got to fish all the canals. And then by the final day, they'd all been caught because Jordan Lee was in there too. And I think it, he, he, uh, I think he led the first day or two. So they'd been hammered pretty good. It was, it was pretty interesting. I remember watching that when we were watching it here at the, at the office mm-hmm. and uh, right there when it's coming down to the wire and you were catching them off the reeds to make that first mm-hmm. cut. That was interesting because we were all just on the edge of our seats. And uh, oh, it's awesome. Well, and and now hearing the detail story behind it, it's even better because it like from TV side it looked like you were so dialed in it wasn't funny. Um, yeah. And then you're like, you know what? I just I just rolled the dice and took a shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't find those fish in practice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was dialed in, but I didn't get dialed in until you know, the last of the second day. And, yeah. But I mean, by the next day, it was evident that those fish were spawning on those reeds and I need to go through there and flip them real quietly. And that's what I needed. I honestly, what I did that made the, probably the difference between, uh, you know, that you may not notice this in a five fish format, but you will in MLF because there's no cap on the amount you can catch. I put the, tr- the, pr- the troll motor would be on high. If, if I wasn't flipping reeds going to the next reed patch or reed, whatever you call them, reed head. Uh, grouping whatever during the you know in those canals on the on that 
cut day that that I was on that you were watching. I, but I would fish really slow, you know, around all those reeds. But they just weren't everywhere. But I just I stayed really efficient that day, and I was just all in on that one thing. That's, so. pre- that's pretty cool. So what yeah. have you? You know, you've had one full season and started this season. Have you found yourself having to adjust anything going to the every fish counts? Yeah, um, you got to be. If you're not getting bites, you need to move. That's that's a big deal. There's no waiting, you know, till the end of the day for them to start biting. Or, or I mean, it's it's a little bit uh, more fast paced, I would say, and you got to do a little bit more moving around. Um, but now we got the two pound minimum, so that's kind of changed a little bit to where it's a little bit more like the five fish uh, pace, I would say, which I like better. I like the two pound minimum a lot. Um, I think the viewers like it, you know, better also from what feedback I've gotten. Well, and you take some other differences too, you know, like, uh, fish until lines out, you know, you would have really had to think about that long run you were making at the end of the day and Okeechobee, if you had to make that run right back to the ramp. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. And so, you know, with us having an official on the boat, that, that, that's a big part of that. Uh, I know I knew that I could fish till the very end in those canals. Once I got in there, I'd have just enough time, and I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, man, am I going to make it back to weigh in? And, and is the lockmaster going to be ready? And you know, how long is it going to take me to lock out? I don't. I didn't have to worry about any of that. I didn't care if I get, you know, got home at dark, uh, just as long as uh, I got to get in there and fish. But yeah, absolutely, big difference in that decision. One of the things I've been asking a lot of the BPT guys is for a format, and this is just my idea on it. If you guys mm-hmm. just knew the weight but didn't know who had it and only us, the viewers, did, would you be a proponent of that rule change? That's a good idea. I like that idea. We were talking with Hackney the other day about it, and it's just if you and Hackney were in the same creek and you're seeing the score tracker light up for Hackney or he sees you lighting it up, well, he knows exactly mm-hmm. what you're doing. He's just sitting there watching you, but no one else around mm-hmm. has that. Mm-hmm. And if it were to make even add another element to it, I think it almost helped not get pe- in people's head if they just knew the weight. Yeah, they they'd know what they they need to do. They mm-hmm. wouldn't worry about other anglers, right? I think that would make it a little bit more fair in terms of that. That would keep somebody from coming in on somebody for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess. You know what's funny is it. You know it also. It's just it's hard to know. I think if if say you're in a creek, I, I think most of these guys. It just comes down to them finding them most of the time. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they're going to figure out how to catch them. And I think that most of the time, if they know, you know, say Hackney was fishing next to me and I was lighting them up. I think that that probably more than anything, that's going to give him confidence that he's in the right area Mm -hmm. and he's going to start catching him too. He's going to find out how to catch him. And I, I do think that was that. I think that's the biggest dynamic that, uh, you know, I find myself, uh, using it constructively as I can. And that's a constructive way of using it. And I, it can hurt you and it can help you. So you don't want it to hurt you. You want to use it for the things that it's good for. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be a positive thing, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely not 
fun if you felt like somebody was and i don't see this heart you know i, I don't know i don't think I, anyone's really using that but i just think it would add another element of purity mm-hmm. i guess to it maybe or so yeah and it, you know the other thing is it might make everybody feel like well i, I don't i don't care what you have or I, I don't know how you're doing i mean i can fish around you i don't i'm not yeah, coming over here true. because you 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 mm-hmm. You're the leader, so so maybe that would be a good thing too in that regard. Well, uh, there's also, a lot of angles. We also heard somebody the other day bring up the idea of doing a blackout period. You know, for the yeah. last thirty minutes or so of each period. Uh, yeah. Oh, that no would spin track. people. I think that out. would mess some people. I don't. Up. I don't think I would like that. I mean, as a it, viewer, it would be interesting, but as a competitor, I would. I would hate that. Would yeah. Hate. The, the the one thing that you know. It, at the end of the, at our, the way we do it, the th- one thing that we have going for us is on the third day of competition. It's it's not just about the leader; it's about the guys fighting for a check mm-hmm. and the guys fighting for advancement on you know the third day and the second day. And at least we never saw that battle before, and how interesting it is. Mm-hmm. And we've never heard it go on to like it, no no one that we're in a battle so much, but at least I do like that. And, and it's, I think it's, it's cool to watch. Um, I, I do know a lot of guys are when they know they don't, they're not doing much, you know, they're either, they're not around the line or that, you know, they're not stressed at the end of the day, they're, they're listening and getting updates from the official on who's in, who's in, uh, who's on the bubble, you know, who's mm-hmm. riding the wave and, and, and it's interesting. Who, who are you traveling yeah. with this year? Uh, Bertrand uh-huh. and uh, Gerald Spoer and uh, Roy Hawk. We'll usually rent a house, all four of us, and uh, that's that seems like a pretty good way of doing it. You know, it keeps it pretty cheap. Now, I think for the first couple of tournaments going back, we're probably splitting up and doing two and two, mm-hmm. and that'd be just me and Bertrand. Uh, and that's just kind of because we couldn't find, you know, big enough houses. It, some places are a pain to go to because you just, there's not a lot of great places to stay and whatnot. But um, I think that's what we're doing for the first couple anyways. But yeah. I know Maggie goes with, with Gerald a lot. Does she yeah. have to go with you much? No, she's she works at home. Uh, she's working from home right now, but she works BOK downtown Tulsa. So uh She's she's got that going and she can't really travel a bunch. But every now and then, I mean, if it's a like she's she's gone to you know she goes to at least one a year, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So, but um, no, man. And I told her, I, I for me personally, I go to a tournament and it's work, and I don't you know I don't know how much fun sometimes it would be for her, you know we and we could do that, but you know and, and have more fun and and we do to the ones she goes to. But uh, it just for me, when uh, it's just by the time I when I leave the house, I'm there. I'm I'm going to I'm going there to catch fish, and and that's all I care about. And I mean, I do care about other things, of course, but that's that's just my main concern. But she's usually uh, stays home and and works, and we'll use that vacation time that she's got. Uh, like last year, we went to Colorado for a week as our fishing season's over. So. Um, but yeah, she'll come to one a, one a year usually. Now I know you guys can't talk fishing there, but after that tournament, did Roy tell you about that sixteen? 
I forgot to call him and ask him about that. I, I heard Actually. he was tight-lipped about it, and I, I mean, I can completely understand why, but, mm-hmm. man, I would have just looked. I've never, I don't think I've seen one here recently, someone catching a 16. I've never seen anything above 12 in person. That would just be cool to see. Yeah, it would. Is that yeah, hard not would. talking fishing with your roommates? Yeah, I, I don't like it, you know, because, like, yeah, he couldn't, yeah, I didn't even know anything about, like, I, I didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. Or that would have been a awesome story to hear. But yeah, you, you, you know, you, you can't, that's one of the cool things about fishing that, that we do miss out on is that camaraderie of, you know, story time, I guess. And it's, uh, it's fun, dude. And I miss it, but. Well, you're fishing it, the I super guess. tournaments though, right? So you get to do it yeah. at the super tournaments. Yeah. We, yeah. We could do it there. So. That'll yeah. be good. You looking forward yeah. to those? Yeah. I'm, I'm not looking forward to, I mean, I'm, I'm I like Lake, Lake Chickamauga. But, uh, man, I just know that's a lot of boats and I, we'll, we'll see how it works out. You know, I, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. So you gotta, you know, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how many boats there are. So, um, I guess we're going to have two Oh nine, I think is the, the field size, wow. um, which I don't know if you guys remember, uh, when we had Bass Fest and Jacob Wheeler won it yeah. probably mm-hmm. six years ago or five years ago i don't remember how many boats were in that but they were probably oh there was a bunch 100 160 170 180 but yeah well so i don't think it'll be much different than that and interestingly i just found out yesterday tournament director called me oh it's the only thing i've done is i've seen the lakes and i've seen the dates and i'm I'm like okay i'll do them and that's that's all i know Mm -hmm. and so i don't know any of the ins and outs of the but i apparently we can lock into uh the other two you know above it um the one or the one above it uh shoot what's its name um it's a pretty good lake it's a big one watts bar oh yeah what it's called yeah watts and then the one below it is um it's a small one uh nickajack nickajack yep so we 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 can lock in lock into both of those so maybe that'll help do you you have to think like it I would think they'd come into strategy when you got 200 boats. I mean, do you go try and find something you don't think anybody else is going to be on or? I don't know what I'm going to do yet. <laughs> well, you Hard got heavy hitters I, coming up first, right? Yes. Yes. So, all right. Out of that or Champlain, which one are you looking more forward to? I mean, Florida's been I good to re- you this year. I don't really like Champlain that much, honestly. Really? Uh, I don't know why, but I love every single other small mouth powerhouse we go to, but, um, it's all right, it, but it, it was good. It's really good. Champlain is, uh, but uh, Florida, I, I probably I don't want to drive down there, and I don't I don't want it to be ninety five degrees. Hopefully, it won't be. But I think I look more forward to that than Champlain, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably you know I could go to Champlain and you know get a top twelve or something or top ten and be happy as heck. You know, it, it, I don't try to. I, I don't. I'm not going to approach it in a negative way, though. You know, I'm going to look forward to all of them. I'm really looking forward to St. Clair, though. Uh, I'll tell you this. The last time I went to St. Clair, it's the only place I've ever got, like, 100th place and still walked away liking, you know, (laughs) loving the lake. It's the only place I've ever been that was like that. I love that place. And, uh, you know, the the first – man, I had the best smallmouth day I've ever had in practice one day there. It was the day – that there was a solar eclipse. I don't remember, know if you guys remember that. It was in August. 
Was that the one everybody like you couldn't get glasses for or something? Yeah. Yep, okay. Yep. That's right, it. The that's super it. one. Yeah. Yeah, I remember taking like three pairs of Costas and putting them, stacking them on each other, <laughs> and look and looking at it. What's the best and color I, lens for looking at an eclipse? You like stacking three blue them. mirrors or a green blue? Yeah, that's silver? what you need is three blues. Three blues. You need three blues. Yeah. Definitely. Costa blues. should have the first eclipse lens. That'd be pretty slick. Yeah. Yeah. The eclipse lens. Mm-hmm. That's they, a good they name. Start make, they start making it now, so uh, we only got so seventy more years. Start on it. Yeah, for sure. We, we saw we saw how fast the face mask and glove deal can go. Oh, absolutely. Hey, what do you, what is your favorite site fishing lens? We asked someone else this the other day. The Silver Sunrise. I like it yep. a lot. I'm not a good site fisherman, actually. Uh, I mean, I can do it uh, for sure, but I'm I'm saying compared to. The guys I fish against, they're so good at it. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, they'll, they'll absolutely clean them out, dude. It is unreal. And they see them better than me and, and all that stuff. I got stuff that I'd just rather go do instead that I feel like I'd be better at. But uh, I can do it. But that's that's what I've I, – and I've actually, you know, taken all three lenses, four lenses, and put them on the deck of the boat mm-hmm. a couple different times and, and, and uh, tried different ones and looked at, you know, fish three different times four different times with different ones and it's uh it's funny you know it, the best thing you can do man is go mark them and come back on tournament day and then stay really far away and you know sneak up on them and learn their personality then and see but it's uh i think that silver sunrise is really good every now and then that copper silver mirror i like mm-hmm. it and different waters are different you know different water colors are different so uh, frames, everybody's uh, eyes are different too what frames are you wearing the Jose's. Jose's. So, yeah, a lot of people like the fantails. Very popular. Very mm-hmm. good for most people. But for some reason, they bug me. Yeah. Uh, they just hit behind my ears. And, and they and the Jose just fits me good. I mean, it just, I, it's, I've tried them all. And that seems to be the best one. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of comfort. And, I mean, because, you know, when you're wearing them fishing, you're going to wear you wear them for 12, 13, 14 hours sometimes. Uh, if you fish daylight to dark and, and it better, it better fit good and be comfortable. I'm, so. a, I'm a hammerhead guy. My head's too big for the Jose's. Oh, so yeah, you got, you got the hammerhead. Is that a, is that, is that a lens? The hammerhead? The frames. Yeah. They're frames, like, if you yeah. go to you got an extra pick, large yeah, heads. pick by your size, you got an extra large, you got to go to the extra large for sure. Big and tall. Yeah. That's how me and Tim get our coasts. We have to go to extra large and then we just see what's yeah. available. We get to pick from five different ones. See, yeah. <laughs> my dad's got a big head. And, uh, I had to order, uh, I've got him some, uh, man, what are they called? I want to say they're fishes. Those are really big ones. Oh um, yeah, yeah. There's, a couple, there's a couple that are pretty big, but too big for me. Yeah. I've got Corvinas. They're pretty good for big old heads. Yeah. 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 Those are big. Yeah. Well yeah. now, how are you liking the elite? You've been with us for six, six years now. Uh, yeah. always had nine twenty ones, uh, the, the pro XP, but how, how are you liking the elite? Uh, is yeah, it? I love it. Um, I, I've had five 921 yeah. Pro XPs, and man, I just I love that boat. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, which tackle. So it, it's just really they're the same hole. Yeah, same you know, the, hole. The, the, yep. the 921 Pro Elite that I have now, same hole. This first year's came out, took the old PHX top cap, put it on that 921 Pro XP hole, and I, 
I, I really don't know which it, it's basically an, a, a, a question of which storage system do you like? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm still debating it myself. I like both of them a lot. Uh, or, and, but you know, this, this boat does seem like it allows for a little bit more storage. I would say just the most important thing is that hold to me that the speed, the athleticism, uh, maneuverability, just, Everything about that boat, it's really, you know, a dry ride. It's it's a really, really nice riding boat mm-hmm. in the rough water. Uh, it's just it's just so good, you know. So you find yourself bringing more tackle because of the big single lid? Yeah, I, I think I think so. Maybe not. I, I've I got a problem with that, dude. You know, I, <laughs> I've tried to slim my stuff down, and I have a lot, you know. I always throw green pumpkin or watermelon or June bug or black and blue. You know what I mean? I don't need all this other stuff uh, when it comes to plastics and stuff like that. But it seems like I'll take one bag of weird stuff out or two or three weird stuff out and I put more green pumpkin in to replace it or something, you know. Hmm. I just have this problem just storing too much weight in there. I think we all do. But, it's it's yeah. the whole what if. Like, what if you need it? It's it's the what if. It's the insecurity. It's ha- – you got to ask yourself the question, have you ever ran out of baits when you're on them? And, and that's the answer. You'll, you'll say yes. And that's why you're carrying too much junk in your mm-hmm. boat is because you don't like that insecurity. You felt that before. It's a very dark place. It's not a good place to be. No, I got baits I bring with out. me that I won't, I know I won't even throw, but I just want to have them as a, as yeah. a comfort blanket. Well, my wife will make yeah. fun of me cause we'll go into a sports store and I'll go in and get four packs of something knowing I've got 15 at home. But mm-hmm. I just can't help it. I mean, what if somebody else buys yeah. the rest of them, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just like the – it's just like these horses in our backyard over here. It's just like if, if if one of them thinks they're getting a cookie, the other one wants a cookie. And and then, yeah, you don't want – they don't want the other one to have their cookie. And it's just it's just nature. How many times have you gone else? into a tackle shop and been like, I'm catching them on this, I'm going to buy them all just so someone else can't buy them? Yeah, it's I, tough to that, buy out tackle it, warehouse, out, but a local shop well, definitely, definitely local fishing. I've yeah. done. I, I don't. I I haven't done that in a long time, but I used to do that a lot uh, when I'd fish around home a lot. I mean, if they're biting a certain something, mm-hmm. some kind of plug or whatever, that certain color, and it was it was good, and it was the deal. Yeah, I was gonna buy every single one. I'll buy the whole rack, <laughs> but and and that's fine. I'll use them, and you know, but eventually. But yeah, I'd do that. And same same thing is like if you know if you go down, I go looking through a tackle store now or something, and you see something gone and swiped, you know they're probably biting it. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use? <laughs> and decoy? I probably got it. Do you ever use decoy yeah. rods on the deck whenever you're fishing local tournaments? No, no. I, I mean, if I had to, maybe, but no. I mean, you know, our tournaments were so big and everybody's so pretty, you know pretty good around here that i don't know i yeah if there was something important that i didn't want anybody to see yeah uh, I, I, I probably wouldn't pull out of the rod box i'd be more inclined to not ever pull my rods out yeah i was gonna say do you, do you leave that. rods in until you get to your first spot or do you go ahead and lay them out i mean not on bpt <clears throat> obviously because that's it's a different but if you're fishing at home or something you leave them all in the box um not usually like if there were one main thing mm-hmm. i might like keep it in there and then pull it out where we're going. But, you know, you don't want to get somewhere and, and then 
you know, for some reason be ha- be having to like pull, yeah, yeah, pull your stuff out that if it got you know misarranged or something like mm-hmm. that, and kind of bind or tangled up, and I, I'd usually, uh, you know, actually act- when when we're fishing for smallmouth, I will definitely have my rods out, but they'll be you know lined up in a certain you know the spinning rods and stuff in a certain way but they won't unspool in that rough rough water mm-hmm. or i'll have them in that back rod box of the of the uh, 921 and to where they're more protected kind of in the pivot point of the boat and i use that a lot for the for that mm-hmm. and it seems like also when i'm in the great lakes or like at st Clair, i only have like 15 rods in the boat so that makes it to where i'll usually put those rod racks back in for that right they're pretty good about holding stuff but i'll I'll, man it's just it really just depends on what tournament where you know Mm -hmm. i was in the checkout the other day and i was on the phone with a buddy right before tournament and i was telling him i was catching him on a 14 inch lizard just to Uh see the reactions from the the guys waiting to put in that morning (laughs) yeah 12 inch spoon 14 inch lizard on a spotted bass like it kills them yeah, where, where do I get some 14-inch lizards at? Man, I had to have some overnight in their hand port. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I glued a couple of them together. I spliced yeah. in a, a power worm in the middle of the body. There you go. Well, shoot, man. We really do appreciate you taking time out. I know we've probably taken yeah. more time. You want to get on that 72-inch uh, mower and go zipping around. But uh, before we I let you go. I just mowed this morning. Yeah. How, how long did yeah. it take you? Uh, about three hours. Dang. You got a lot to mow. Yeah. 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 When you come down to Chick, bring that thing on down. I'll let you into Alabama. I'll show you the back road, and uh, you can come cut my grass. It'll probably take you <laughs> two, three minutes. Well, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll pull it behind the Phoenix on the way over. Yeah, there I'll, you go. I'll have to go get me a little trailer and hook onto the prop or something like that. Yeah, just tie it in right there. All right, Brian, you want to start us off with this hot seat? Yeah, so we're gonna run through this hot seat. Some rapid fire questions, real quick. Uh, what's your favorite food? Oh, so that's a multi. Uh, this won't be rapid fire, but probably crawfish. And I like uh, ribeyes a lot. And for dessert, ice cream and brownie. Any sort sort of form of ice cream and vanilla or vanilla ice cream and, and a brownie All with right. pecans. All right, you get to fish with Mike Gundy or Barry Sanders. Who are you picking? No man, that's tough. That's real tough. Well, I mean, I gotta pick two of the the greats out of there. I'd almost, I'd almost say Barry. Really? Yeah, that'd be cool. Because I, I have a really ad, big admiration for pro football, mm-hmm. uh, playing fantasy football and stuff like that. I love it. Uh, I, I watch so much football, pro football, that I would want to pick his brain and and just you know hear all the stories. And so, but Gundy too, man. You know, I don't know. Probably Barry though. Barry. All right. So fantasy football draft. You got ten teams uh-huh. in the league. Would you rather be pick number five or have ten so you can have back to backs? It depends on if there's some landmines that I think that could be landmines. Uh, I'd say most of the time, pick number five. Pick I won a league last year with pick pick nine or ten or pick ten last year, though. Oh, that's not bad. All right, one top water bait. Rest of your life, buzz bait or spook. Spook. Would you rather fish when it's 105 outside or when it's 25? Uh, what do you mean, 25 and blowing, yeah. or 25 in a hilly lake that you can hide from the wind? Or 
We'll say bald. Are, are the, are are the go- bass biting in both situations? I can't answer that because I can't find them. 105 is pretty, pretty harsh. Uh, I'd, I'd say 25. I mean, I got a dude that Sims makes a challenger, uh, or I, I don't know if it, I think it's called it. No, I don't think, yeah, it might be called the challenger, but it's an insulated rain suit and mm-hmm. it's got prima loft in it. And it, it's, it's so good for fishing. It's just the, you know, your hands, man, you just got to put a heater buddy up there and take care of them. But I think I'd almost rather fish in 25 as long as they're biting. And as long as I can kind of hide from it, I like winter fishing. All right, no taste buds or colorblind? Colorblind. All right, the rest of your life, you can only have one color, black and blue or green pumpkin? Green pumpkin. Would you rather be invisible or run a three flat 40? Three flat, because I'd go to the Olympics and... (laughs) Dominate. I I don't know. I'd I'd figure some way to make a living off of running a 3-0. 40. What's the last movie you watched? Uh, what was the last movie I watched? There's something on Netflix, of course. Um, actually, we took care of Sam's niece the other day, and it was Clifford the Red, Big Red Dog. Oh, gotta love Cri- Classic. Clifford. Yep. Yeah. Would you rather live one life for a thousand years or ten lives for a hundred years? Okay, repeat that again. All right. One life for a thousand years. Or 10 lives that last 100 years? 10. That's what I said. Yep. Do you still age? I mean... Yeah, I mean, like I mean, you're not going to be Benjamin Button. The whole time. No, you're, you're not going to Benjamin Button it. You're going to die and you'll get old, but you get to, I guess, live from your experiences. Mm-hmm. Start over. All right, if you had to pick on cowboy boots, are you going square toe or pointy toe? Square. SPF 30, 50, 70, or 100? 50. It seems 30. like after 50, it gets too thick, and mm-hmm. I like 30. Um, you know, I've gotten to where I wear so much sun stuff that I just usually have to put it on my face, and that's about it. But, I mean, if I got to wear shorts, I'll have to put it on my legs. But mm-hmm. All right, last question, kind of selfishly. If you got first pick this year in the fantasy draft, who are you picking? I haven't even thought about it that much, man. Uh, it, it'll be... It'll be a running back. It'll be a stud running back that will not be a bust and just a locked in and, you know, very safe pick. Because if you screw that up, you screw up the whole year. That's right. If, mm-hmm. if you're pick number one you, you, and you miss pick, you're done. So it's got to be a stud running back. I don't think there's a stud wide receiver that right now to make me want to do that. Maybe. I mean, you could go quarterback. It just depends on the scoring format in the league. Uh, you could go Patrick, Patrick Mahomes or um, uh, what's his name for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, their new quarterback that did so well last year. You could go either one of those if you, if your quarterbacks are you know a highly sought after thing. Uh, but usually going to wait on wait on that. Uh, probably going to have to go stud running back. I don't know who. Maybe Zeke. Uh, maybe. Uh, you know, the, the chiefs actually drafted a running back this draft. It's probably going to be a stud for them and it's, it's just going to be a plug and play, but you can w- probably wait to the sec third round to probably get him. So, well, not anymore. Once I hear this. Yeah. What do you think about <laughs> yeah. Gronk coming back? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, that's just, uh, that's good. 
that's cool. It's going to be fun to watch Tampa Bay this year. I'm going to love watching them. Um, but, you know, they already had a good tight end. I don't know why he hadn't worked out for, for them really well. But uh, I think it's just more of a extra added decoy, you know, late in the season. I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, 25 year or 20 something year old Gronk, you know, early mm-hmm. 20. But he, he's going to, when they, you'll watch him and he'll be quiet for a couple of the games, I bet, this year. And then all of a sudden they'll, they'll, they'll go to him and they'll nail somebody with him when they need to and uh, it's going to be you know they got two really good receivers they got mike evans and uh and godwin there it's going to be fun to watch brady next year it's going to be a lot of fun i'm yeah. looking forward to that gronk's gonna be their 14 inch lizard for sure it's good for one bite yeah every now yeah and then. He, he, yeah we'll, we'll just go ahead and let's score a touchdown what do you guys think <laughs> and just throw it to gronk there you yeah. go all right my last question would you rather crank with a nine foot spinning rod or only flip with a six six pistol grip uh forever terrible. like you can't it's not like one tournament that's life like flip with a nine foot spinning reel no or rod. a crank with a nine foot spinning rod or flip with I, a six six pistol grip rest of your life i i I'd, I'd have to go with the uh the nine foot spinning rod for a crankbait just because i think i could do that and and uh, man I don't, it, there's a lot of different i got four or five different crankbait rods you know for different sizes but I, I just couldn't go without a seven footer or mm-hmm. at least, you know, or seven and a half footer, you know, a seven, six heavy, you know, flipping. Well, it's actually a nine foot ultralight. I forgot to mention that. Oh, an ultralight. <laughs> so like, for, like throwing like a, like uh, a little bit of a six, six D on it. Though. He, he really bought it out of the crappie section. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well look, man, we do appreciate it. Uh, good luck. We'll be watching, uh, you coming up with the next two BPTs and then finishing out those super tournaments, but good luck with the rest of the year, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for having me on, and uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, before, and, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Before we let you go, what, real what quick, got? how how can people follow you? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm pretty active on uh, Instagram. That's that's what I really like to uh, post on all the time, and and uh, you can keep up with me there. It's just James Elam Fishing uh, on Insta and Facebook, of course, too. I uh, you share a lot of stuff to, to Facebook, but those are my two uh, main things. Uh, uh, you find about everything there. So appreciate that. All right, King James. We'll see you, buddy. All right. Thanks, appreciate guys. it, James. See you. All right.